So today we have Nicole Gomez Fisher on the podcast, and she is terrific. She is an amazing person who is a writer, a producer, an actress, a comedian. She's got so many talents, and she has put all of her feelings about her fertility building journey into a film called The Good Egg. Now, it's not what you would expect it to be. It's a comedy, and she's had many tragedies, unfortunately, through her life, but she's been able to take all of her angst, and as you'll hear on the podcast, many difficulties, and put them to use in this beautiful movie. So hear all about it on this podcast. I think you're really going to enjoy it and get so much out of it because she shares with her heart and soul. She's really a very unique person. So tune in. Welcome to Building Your Family. This is a podcast about donor conception, surrogacy, fertility treatment, and all the ways the modern family is built. I'm your host. My name is Lisa Schumann. I'm a therapist. I'm an author. And my guests and I are here to help you have a better path to parenthood by giving you sound information and good advice to have a better parenting experience and a better journey to parenthood. And today I'm very excited because I have a special guest. Nicole Gomez Fisher is a mom, but she is also a filmmaker. She's an actually an award-winning, and she'll tell you about this, director and producer. She began her entertainment career as a stand-up comic actress and founding member of the Hot Tamales Live tour produced by Eva Langora and Kiki Mendez. She's done Sleeping with the Fishes, which is starring Golden Globe winners, and she's also made a movie called The Good Egg. And this is a fantastic movie, which I've just finished. It's really wonderful. I recommend you all watch it. And it was inspired by her own journey. She brings her creativity and hard work ethic into all of her film work and has had an amazing experience in her family building journey. And we'll share all of it with you. Welcome, Nicole. Thank you for coming today. I really appreciate you coming to this podcast and sharing with everyone your experience and Perhaps we can start with how you started this process and as, you know, most of us go through this process, struggle and have to little by little learn how we're going to get through it. I think, you know, you're a testament to that. And as a result, you've decided to bring it it to your work and created a, a film, which is now on Amazon Prime, which I I rented there and is really fantastic. So maybe you you can start with us at the beginning and tell us a little bit about how your journey began and what you went through to build your beautiful family. Okay. Well, first, thank you for having me. My pleasure. My journey started years and years ago before we had this big social media world, before we actually had groups of women and men who you could sort of talk to on, you know, on the internet, it was a different time. And um, I knew when I was 19, that this was going to be an issue, because I had endometriosis. And it spread pretty much all over and I had to have my ovaries and my tubes removed. Bizarrely enough, partial uh, ovary remained. So I still had some some eggs that at the time at 19 were viable. So back then, <laughs> I sound like I'm 100 years old, they had just started the freezing process. And so my doctor at the time said, look, there's no guarantees that by the time you're ready, these eggs will be of good quality and viable for you. So I got married later in life 
Uh, we decided right out of the gate that we were going to give some time before we started the process. Mm-hmm. And then we dove into it right into the IVF world. We had a little bit of trouble, I will say, finding the right clinic to go to. There were ones that were just recommended that to me felt like a revolving door. Like they didn't mm-hmm. really care about you. They didn't want to know your story. They just, it was just money, 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 money. And mm-hmm. so we left there and then we went to two other places. Finally, we ended up at a place called Genesis Fertility mm-hmm. in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. And it was the first place that I felt like they understood my journey. They understood, you know, what I had been through with the ovarian uh, situation and endometriosis, and they actually cared. Um, and they had a section as well for egg donation, but we weren't even there yet. So we started with IVF. We had five attempts, one of which wow. initially started was successful, but then was no longer. And at that point, I needed to take a break physically, emotionally, financially. We were both burnt out. And at that point, that's when I, yeah, it's, you know, it's just, it's draining on so many levels. And so then I wrote Sleeping with the Fishes, which was my first feature, which really had nothing to do with this process. But while we were in post on fishes, we decided, my husband and I, to try again. So we did one more round. And at that point, when I didn't get pregnant with that round, I hit such a massive depression and mm. really just couldn't get out of my own way. So I just dove right into post-production and just focused solely on that. And then just as my career was sort of getting traction and building, everything was sort of on an upscale. And I wasn't thinking about children at that point, almost sort of similar to what Camille had said. I was very uh, career-oriented. I wanted to stay focused. At one point, my husband said to me, you know, do you want to just try one more time? And I was like, I I don't think I physically can. I don't want to keep pumping these things into my body. I don't want to do it. Let's see if we can't find a different option. And so we went back to my doctor, which at that point, he said, your eggs are just not, they're just not viable. What was stored back in 2000 something is not going to work now. You should really consider egg donation. And I find that from the women I've spoken to about this that have been in my shoes, we all had that first initial jolt of, of kicking the stomach and jealousy and, and the why me kind of what was me nonsense, but it wasn't nonsense at the time. And I could not wrap my head around this. I just, I wanted to be a mother so desperately. We had been on three different adoption lists and just weren't even moving. Like we just weren't moving up in that world. Um, We thought about foster care for a little bit, but we realized that we probably weren't the right family for that. Mm -hmm. So after several months of sort of doing the research at that time, this is 2008, uh, I just sucked up my ego. And I said, you know what? There's no pride here. There's no ego. This is about what you want. And if your goal is to be a mother, give it a shot. So my husband and I went through a bunch of applications and that sort of leads me into the good egg world where... I just couldn't fathom choosing somebody off a piece of paper. You know, Mm. I wanted more. I wanted to know who the donor was. I had reached out to some of my friends. Two of them had offered. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought, "Mm, I'm always going to feel like it's their kid. And since we're so close, it's, you know, they kept saying, well, they can refer to me as an aunt. And I'm like, no, it's just everything about that doesn't work for me. So we went with an anonymous uh, donor. Initially, we had eight embryos. And we tried the two best qualities to uh, transfer into me. And we did. And of course, didn't work out. At which point, my doctor said, you should really think about surrogacy. 
And now I'm already in the head of feeling completely disconnected because genetically they're not going to be like me. We weren't so concerned about the religion, but more so about ethnicity and wanting it to be sort of my husband's Italian. I'm a Puerto Rican Jew. It was very hard to find that mix. Yes. So we really sort of started gauging towards health and making sure that she was healthy. So um, we ended up going with what was called a pro-surrogate. And that means she has done it before. And it was really, really important to me that whoever was going to carry for me, because this whole combination of having two other women help me become a mother was just so bizarre. And I wanted to make sure that she understood or could understand the feelings and the emotions of giving the child to me and not having the skin on skin, you know, with her. Yes. And um, I mean, I know that we're talking more about egg donation, but the surrogacy becomes incredibly important too, because for me and my journey... To say I was disconnected from the whole process is an understatement, but choosing this particular surrogate who I'm still friends with was the best thing I could have done. She was empathetic. Uh, I think we both were, you know, but the first two embryos that we had transferred into her did not take either. Oh my goodness. And she was devastated because she felt she had let us down. It was such a weird phone conversation where you know, she's crying, I'm crying, I'm feeling bad for her because I know she's feeling bad for me. And we're just sort of both sharing this whirlwind of emotions. And so we decided to take a break and just not deal. And at that point, we waited a couple months and we called her up and we said, look, we only have three more left. And I know our contract says that you'll only do two, but we can't financially afford to do this again. It's either all or nothing. Would you consider it? Now, from a female perspective, I'm feeling this is a horrible thing to, I feel like I'm bullying her into doing something with her body that she may or may not want to do. So she was, you know, she took a few months to decide and then she called us up and said she was willing to. And of course she carried, all three were implanted. Initially there were three. Wow. And three became two. But with that said, the whole trajectory to getting me to writing Good Egg really came down to the day before we even chose surrogacy. When I was going in for my, uh, it was two days before my uh, embryo transfer with her, with her egg. And at this particular place at Genesis, when you signed off on the contract, A, you couldn't sign, you couldn't see a picture of her do anything until after the contract was signed. They didn't want you to sort of make a baby. You weren't building a baby, you know? And so they didn't want you to choose it based on looks and Mm -hmm. features. They wanted you to do it based on this one page application and go from there. And so the day, two days before the transfer, um, I got there early, super early, um, because my husband needed the car to go to work. And lo and behold, I had seen a picture. My husband's never seen a picture of her. He didn't want to, for whatever reason, I still don't know. He doesn't want to talk about it, but, um, I saw a picture of her and there she was. And I was sitting there pumped up with hormones, feeling all sorts of emotions, excitement, fear, everything you could imagine. And then when she came out, it was almost like a Hollywood rock star. You know, she had a hoodie on, she had the big glasses. And had they not called her over to sign some paperwork, I would never have known it was her. So when she went over to the counter and took off her glasses and her hoodie, it was a feeling that I, I, the only way I could express it is if somebody just sucker punched you from behind. It felt so enormous. It felt all the feelings that I was internalizing were just like there, right on my shoulder. The wow. anger, the 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 jealousy, the bizarre sense of jealousy, as if my husband had actually, you know, been with her 
And, and, and that wasn't the case, obviously. But by the way, Nicole, yeah. this is all natural, right? I mean, this is what people experience. And I think it's really hard. And I, I'm so appreciative that you're sharing this because first of all, this whole story from the endometriosis to the diagnosis to you having to freeze your eggs to them not working to diagnosis where you need to have an egg donor and then the surrogate. I mean, first of all, how did you not stop along the way and say, this is just too so enormous? I mean, you kept going. Well, I did stop. I mean, I stopped for two years. That was when I was doing my first feature. And I did stop. I didn't want to do it. And it was on one New Year's Eve that my husband desperately wanted children. Like, And I, I still wanted, but I just didn't want my body to be involved with the medications and, and the blood work and you know everything oh, yeah. that goes into it. And I was pretty much set and resolved to not being a mother and hoping that my sister was going to have a child oh and I gosh. could be an aunt. I had taken a long time in therapy to sort of talk it through and say, okay, this was not meant to be. The one thing I always say that I hated was that I had a lot of people always say to me that God's rejection is his protection. And I hate that saying because it, yes. it just feels so final. It just yes. feels like, well, you know what? You have no say, you have nothing. It's, it is what it right. is. And it wasn't that simple. And no. so it wasn't until two years later that my husband brought it up again. And to be perfectly honest, and he knows this, I folded for him. I, I really thought that if we don't do this, we could end up divorced. And I don't know any other way, but let's give it a go one more time. And wow. so we did. And it was really almost like, in a weird way, to save the baby, <laughs> save a marriage baby. Mm -hmm. But, mm -hmm. you know, it actually, and I say this all the time, during the whole, it was over an eight-year period, there were many times where my husband and I were just head to head. We didn't see eye to eye. Oh, it's so difficult. Of course. And when he wanted the egg donor, like in, in Good Egg, the husband goes out behind her back and, and looks for applications for donors because mm -hmm. he wants something and he can see the benefits of doing this. Plus, with everything I had gone through physically, my husband really did understand that my body just couldn't take it anymore. But yes. he was going online. He was looking at YouTube videos where I don't know if you know, but if you go on YouTube and you put in surrogacy or adoption, there are couples and individuals that do videos. Yes. And yes. So, so, and it was so bizarre. And then when I found out he was doing that, I remember being so angry with him. But then I kind of went down that rabbit hole. And mm -hmm. I was, you know, YouTubing every single kid, you know, going to Instagram because now years had passed and like things had changed. Yeah. I So going back to the donor, excuse me, yes. um, bumping into her, that day was was just, again, so many emotions coming to head. And, and I know people use the word broken. I just could not understand my purpose as a woman. And I'm not saying that every woman's purpose is to have children and to bear children. But at that point, the journey was so draining. And yes. I couldn't believe that even with somebody else's eggs, I still couldn't get pregnant. So I really started to believe like if it weren't my eggs and if it weren't somebody else's eggs, then yeah, I wasn't meant to be a mother and that I have to find some oh. other sort of journey to find purpose. And so again, the purpose at that point was me just delving into the film and oh, keeping uh -huh. my head down. And so after that whole journey of bumping into her, which I guess I should just share this, even though it's a little bit embarrassing. I was really pumped up on hormones and there were a million emotions going on. And I called my husband right away and said, you know, she's here. I'm freaking out. What do I do? And he's like, you stay in your seat and you don't move. I don't usually listen. If somebody tells me no, yeah. I do the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very stubborn. Um, uh -huh. And I ended up in a weird way. You know, I, I went outside 
And I, I kind of followed. And my husband's like, people get arrested for this. This is called stalking. Go back inside. But I just was in such a crazy head. And I wanted to know her. I wanted to say hello. I wanted to thank her. I just wanted to get a feeling of who yeah. this person was. Well, it's it's such an unusual experience, right? I mm-hmm. mean, it's so disconnected from the way that you would perceive maybe your whole life since you're a child, mm-hmm. the way that pregnancy and birth and parenthood is supposed to be, right? It's so disconnected. Mm-hmm. Somebody else is going to carry the baby. Somebody else is going to have your eggs. It's It really can mess with your head in ways that you can't imagine, people can't imagine. It's natural to feel all those feelings. Absolutely. And even when we tried with the surrogate the first time and she didn't get pregnant, then it was like a triple slap. It was like, okay, Nicole, this is, I mean, how many more signs could you possibly get? This is not meant to be. And my mother, who um, came from a very strict Catholic Latina home, was incredibly against it. I don't really, she never really explained why, but she did not want me talking about it with family members. Everything was very taboo. Keep everything secret. They don't need to know. And because of that, again, going back to my stubbornness, I almost wanted to share it more so because I wasn't ashamed. I was like, if I can't accept it myself, then no one else in my family is going to accept this journey. And it's been so tumultuous from beginning to end. And the financial aspects were, you know, killing us. And, you know, at the time, surrogacy was not legal when we did it in New York. York. Mm Yeah. And so we had to go out. So not only was my surrogate in Denver, and not only were we doing everything virtually, it just, my biggest fear was that after she gave birth, that the kids were never going to connect with me because they didn't hear my voice. They didn't have mm. mommy sensations that we weren't sharing the right. bloodlines. We weren't sharing food. We weren't, there was nothing. But my surrogate made it so I wouldn't say easy, but she just, she kept me updated on everything. She would almost call me daily. We became really close. And I, to this day, there's no way to thank someone, you know, for caring, especially twins. And she had a very rough pregnancy and, you know, she had to have a C-section and she had never had it. She has three of her own kids. She carried for somebody else. And I was the first one. The kids were very heavy. And that was part of her fear was that her uterus would, you know, split. At the end of the day, when the girls were born, I, you know, I'm just going to be honest. I did not connect. Mm-hmm. I remember when yeah. they handed me the, you know, Harley being the older, four yeah. minute older. I just stared at her and yes, it, w- it could have been anybody else's child at that point. And I really got so scared that that was the way it was going to be moving forward. And eight months into uh, the girls being born, my surrogate wanted to come visit. Now this is somebody I've bonded with who I love tremendously. I love her family. We're all really close. But when she said she wanted to come visit, to say that I had to pop a Xanax every single day, the mm-hmm. anxiety. And, yeah. and she, on the other hand, so I finally called her and I was like, listen, I just have to be honest with you. I know you're coming in. You're going to stay. I didn't even want her to stay in my house. And I felt horrible about that. So I made her stay at a hotel nearby. But when she came in, I told her, I'm having major anxiety. I'm very afraid that the second you hold these babies, they're going to connect with you because they're going to feel you. They're going to hear your voice. They're going to, they're going to have that. Right. And it was a really rough weekend. And she finally, you know, she said to me when she was holding one of the babies one day, because I have a picture and they're looking at each other so endearingly. And I had to remind myself and she reminded me like, this is still your child. And I said, yeah, but it's somebody else's egg. And, you know, you carried, and I just feel like you're sort of handing off, you know, a prize and, and I don't want it to feel that way. I want to have more of a connection. And she gave me some really great advice on 
just spending more time with them, you know, just playing music with them, like just being so with them. So for the first Mm -hmm. eight months, I was a mess because I was exhausted. I had no idea what did. And again, there was so much of that emotional, I can't say disconnect. There was just not there. Yes. Yes. And it wasn't until they started like talking and walking and, and becoming more of less of a blob and more Mm -hmm. of a person Mm -hmm. that I started to allow myself to connect. I think the issue was me. I was afraid to connect because I was afraid they wouldn't reciprocate with the feelings that I was having. Mm-hmm. To this day, you know, I always wonder, will they want to connect with her at one point? And being anonymous, I don't know what the rules are anymore. What I do know is that I told them first, when they were younger, we started with surrogacy because they said, mommy, there's no pictures of you pregnant. And I was like, yes, there is. And similar mm-hmm. to Camille, I was an actor for a hot second. And I did a role on 24 where I was a pregnant woman. And I had to mm. wear the belly baby. And I said, look, mommy was pregnant here. And they were like, oh, where's that baby? And I'm like, just kidding. And I showed them that it was just the, mm-hmm. the baby bump. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, you know, it's it, kind of an old saying, but you grew in mommy's heart, not mommy's belly. And yes. because of all my surgeries, they can see all the scars. So they call mommy boo-boo belly. And so they said, well, mommy had boo-boo belly, so she couldn't carry, but she always carried it in the heart. And they understood that. Now we've gotten to the point where we FaceTime with the surrogate. They call her Mama Ray Ray. And, you know, I love that connection. But that's a very different connection than doing connected genetically, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And so... I finally had to build up the courage. I had on social media, I met these two wonderful women, uh, both authors that sent me their books about how they told about their journey. And I love these books, but again, without the surrogacy factor, it wasn't my full story. Yes. So at the end of the day, I sat them down. They just turned seven. So this is when they were six. And I tried to explain to them, you know, how babies are made and what mommy wasn't able to do, but you know, daddy, the, the, and Harley, my oldest, raises her hand and she goes, is that why we don't look alike? And I said, exactly. Mm. And then she goes, because I always wondered, we don't have the same nose, mommy. She was very curious. And so after I first explained it to them, Lucia jumped on me and she said, mommy, no matter what, you're always going to be my mommy. And I said, but if you mm. want to meet her down the line or if you want to meet some of your siblings, you're more than welcome to. I want you to know that you have that choice. But again, they were six years old. They don't know what I'm talking about. They kind of get it, but they don't get it. But Harley was insanely inquisitive. And I had to sort of go online and show her things because she was not Mm -hmm. understanding and she wanted desperately to understand what that meant. And she finally sort of got it. And she still says to me, mommy, I'm very confused, but, but you're my mommy. Right. And I go, Mm -hmm. I am your mommy. I said, I'm the one that changed your diapers. I'm the one that takes baths. I'm the one that, you know, puts clothes Mm -hmm. on your body. I, you know, mommy can be something other than just genetics. I said, not everybody is genetically connected to their, you know, parents, to their children. children. Yeah. So we're starting the process of of dropping those seeds. And I'm trying like every couple of weeks, I sort of bring it up again. Lucia absolutely does not want to hear it. She doesn't want to talk about it at all. She's like, I don't care. I don't want to know about it. But Mm. at the end of the day, things have changed drastically since 2008. The girls were frozen for many years. We didn't um, try again until 2014. So from eight to 14, they were frozen. And, you know, a lot of people bring up the whole religious thing and what, you know, this is anti-God and you're going against what God's will is and all this 
religious stuff and everyone's entitled to their opinion. But now with Instagram and TikTok and social media, and even on television, you start seeing episodes of series that are sort of implementing this world. It is fascinating to me how different writers interpret this journey, whether they've been through it themselves or they were just hired to write that episode. And when you see the feedback on social media, it's insane how people are like angry, like that's not how it works and that's not what it is. And, you know, you get a lot of backlash on going through this process rather than people understanding that it was done out of love. It wasn't a purchase. It wasn't, you know, I don't see it that way. And a lot of people have said the opposite, even about the film that, you know, I'm using my children uh, to profit. And I'm like, okay, this is number one uh, independent film. Yeah. I've had some doctors online also say, well, I really hope this film, you know, can help and, and do something for our community. And the truth is, I didn't necessarily write it for the community at the time. For me, it was a way of getting out of my depression. It was yes. a way for me to find humor in this absurdity of one woman's DNA, one woman caring, and then this me finally being like, here your babies, go, good luck. And I was, when I say in a bad place, my friends were, you know, one kid after another, one baby shower after another. And even when my best friends wanted to throw me a baby shower, I was really uncomfortable with it. Of course, of course. It's understandable. Yeah. You're not pregnant. And And you know what, Nicole, I will tell you, I I don't know if you've read my book or not, but I talk about this in my book because there are some people who start their journey, whether it's through donor conception, surrogacy, and they start their journey and they say, okay, I can accept it. I'm moving forward and that's the end of it. And they bond with their baby. And then there are other people who even after their children are born, I have one one story of a woman who renamed her child twice because she just couldn't bond with her child. She was having so much difficulty bonding and she had to rename her child to really feel like the sense of ownership. There's there's so much difficulty Mm -hmm. in this process and it's so complex and everybody is different and everybody's entitled to their own feelings. And we all get through this the best we can, right? Mm -hmm. We all do the best we can to try to get to parenthood and it's so hard and there's so much shame involved in, you know, as you're saying, there's, there's unfortunately a lot of shame on, you know, the internet about the way that things should be done or the way things shouldn't be done. And everyone yep. is really entitled to have their own feelings and, and do the best they can. Everybody loves their children and want their children to be happy. And I think eventually people get there, but everybody's road is different and everybody is entitled to whatever path they need to go on. And you can't rush it. You need to be able to be able to process it in the way that you process it. And I think you've done an amazing job. Thank you. I appreciate you saying that because I agree with you. I mean, I've had to have conversations with other egg mamas, egg donor mamas, because I have, you know, besides the fear of what is going to come and whether the kids are going to be angry or resentful. And that's why, again, telling them younger, which I agree across the board, it's a choice, but it makes me feel better knowing that the they understand it now. So as they grow, they're going to have a lot more questions. They're going to want, I want Mm -hmm. my children to have the freedom to do whatever they want, but I'm not going to lie and say there's not an underlying fear that after all these years of me bonding and getting this relationship and this love that we now have for each other, I do fear, you know, them wanting to go off and, and move to a state where one of their siblings might be, or, you Mm -hmm. know, even the whole thing where people talk about the whole potential incest, like it's, it's really, did I say that right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
those things really worry me. And I think for me, selfishly, I, I fear them separating from me. I fear mm-hmm. them saying, you know what, mom, like we're not anything like my sibling that lives in Utah or whatever it is, or I want to move there because I want to be closer to people that mm-hmm. really are family. And mm-hmm. of course, I feel like a lot of the women that I've talked to say the one thing they fear and, you know, teenage and preteens and hormones that they're going to say, you're not my real mom. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's something that I'm anticipating, but hopeful that it doesn't come to that. Mm-hmm. I've heard stories where the children are so bonded with their parents, even the one I just told you I listened to, where she said, my dad's my dad, you know, not the donor, this one, he taught me to drive, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. And we have such a loving home. And my husband's family is so massive that these children should never hopefully ever judge whether or not they are wanted or loved. They were wanted. And and we went through such an eight year journey to get to this point. So going back to the feelings and the roller coaster ride, when I read on social media and I see people lashing out and being so angry and bitter because their story is different, it hurts me because if you just knew what we went through for eight years and what that caused in our personal relationship and our friendships, emotionally, everything, yes. it feels like a slap in the face. It feels like these people are saying, well, you know, you should never have done that to begin with. Or, you know, mm-hmm. if you're not going to write about a film and you're going to make this into a comedy, you're mocking us. And I'm not mocking yeah. anybody. I no. literally wrote it. And you, you saw it. It's absurd. Yes, I saw it. It's meant to be absurd because it was what was going on in my head during that moment when I bumped into mm-hmm. that donor and yes. the desperation to have a connection with her if I wasn't going to genetically have a connection, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And again, it's a crazy film and it takes you in different places. But when I told you certain um, doctors, especially saying, I hope this helps the community. To me, it was, I hope people can laugh. I hope people can understand that they're not alone, that we all have our different journeys and you can spell it out in a million different ways, whether it's a child book, whether it's on TV episode or whether it's in a film. And I had already seen two other films that were so heavy and so dark that touched on infertility and donation, egg donation. And I didn't want that. I wanted mm-hmm. to be able to laugh mm-hmm. at the whole thing and have a movie that my kids could watch down the line. Mm-hmm. And in a way, it was a love letter to them to say, look at what we went through and the craziness of what mommy was going through emotionally to get to this point to have you. And yeah. in the process of all of this, I don't know why, but I lost my whole family back to back within five years. It was oh like my, my sister. Gosh. Yeah. My sister had passed unexpectedly, followed by my father-in-law, followed by my mother, followed by my, my dad, all in five years. Oh my goodness. And at the same time, the children were born. So here I am trying to be a mother so wow. desperate to make sure that I have that connection, but then having to take care of my mom and dad and take care of what had happened with my sister. And it was just one thing after another. And again, going back to the script, there was no way I was going to make it dark. And, you know, I wanted it to have heart and humor. Ironically, the people who have commented on so far on social media say that they had wished it was drama. And hmm. I, I think the world of IVF and surrogacy and egg donation and sperm donation is dramatic enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that I just, that was absolutely not my intention going in. Yeah. And that's that I think, again, that kind of speaks to that you have to process 
your journey the way that you need to process it. And everyone is entitled to process their journey the mm-hmm. way they process it. I run a workshop for donor conceived children. And part of it is understanding your temperament and mm-hmm. really understanding that you have to honor your temperament. Not everyone is a soapbox person. Not everybody's a serious person. Not everyone. And you have to go through whatever you're going to go through and honor who you are and honor your process as long as you're sharing with your children and as long as you're talking to your children and your plan is to do everything you can for them, which of course you will, that you have to go through your process. And there's a Mm -hmm. lot of grief and a lot of pain and a lot of adjusting and a lot of getting used to this whole idea. It's a really difficult experience for most people, Nicole. And I really appreciate how honest and open you are about it because I think many people have difficulty being honest about it and being open about it. It, There's a lot of shame involved in our society still for whatever reason about donor conception. And I think it's really important that it kind of, you know, comes out of the shadows. Unfortunately, we we didn't learn the lessons that we learned in adoption. And mm. so now we have to learn them all over again and learn that it's really important for for ourselves and for the families to be able to make sure that we are all on the same page, that we're all really supporting each other, not against each other. Absolutely. I mean, it's so important. I just, I hope that things do change and that those children that are told later in life, you know, understand that that's that's their journey and that we each have our own way of approaching this and, and telling our children in our own way as well. And I do hope, I really agree with you. I really hope that the community can stay together rather than have angst and and resentment Uh and jealousy and so forth, because it's every one of us has been down this journey. Yes. And it's so difficult and expensive and trying Mm -hmm. and really puts you in this situation where you're really facing everything that you ever thought that you would be in, it's kind of crushed in front of you, right? You thought that you were going to carry, you thought that you were going to use your eggs, Mm -hmm. you thought that things would be a certain way. And it's so hard that it came at, you know, sounds like such a speed where you had all of these discoveries one after the other and you still persevered and you didn't listen to that voice in your head saying, well, obviously God doesn't mean you to, to be a mother and you went forward and decided to, to pursue your dream, which is really important. I think that's why we're all here is to pursue yeah. the dream that we want. So I think it's fantastic. And I, I think it was great about the movie. I was wondering about the end of the movie, though, at the end, they mm-hmm. ended up adopting, right? Is that right? So I was just curious, why, why did you decide, if you don't mind sharing, on that ending? What's funny is a lot of people question the ending because the child they think could be Latina. And um, the the actor that we did hire just lost it on set. So I had to just take any other kid that was willing to just sit there. And and she, you know, she was, the mother was like very like, yeah, take her, take her. So um, I chose adoption at the end of the day because that was after, before we actually really started the journey of looking for an egg donor and surrogacy. That was what I wanted. I thought, let's, let's take a child that either, you know, any, anybody that needs a home, I just wanted to embrace any option. And in the movie itself, I chose that ending because everything that was going on between the husband and wife was so tumultuous. And I say this all the time, the movie in a larger sense to me is more about a couple that have lost their way because they have gotten so inundated and deep into this world of IVF and the desperation of wanting something that they've lost their connection between each other. Yes. Yes. That's beautifully said. 
yeah, I mean, that was, that's where it came from. My husband and I went through so many levels of, well, if you really want a family and I'm not willing to do this again with my body, then we have to figure out a way either we're going to divorce or we're going to accept where we are. At that time, I decided that adoption was going to be the, the thing. We were, hmm. I was not willing to do egg donation. I didn't want to do it. It really angered me in, in a bizarre way. And I just didn't want to do it that way. So when I wrote it at the time, remember I wrote the script when we were starting this in 2008, it was an old script that's been sitting, mm. you know, on the back burner. So at that point, I just thought Gordon and Jessica, the two main characters, I wanted to end in nice bow tie, you know, mm -hmm. a, a bow. And I wanted adoption to be on the table because I thought that was where at the time when I wrote it, that's what we were planning on doing was going down the adoption route. That makes sense. I just thought, you know, either way, it, the story is about connection between husband and wife and also just what people will do when desperate. And, yes. you know, even like I told you with the YouTube videos, I mean, we would stay yes. up all night and just watch these videos. It was almost like Instagram, you know, stories. For that reason alone, I think based on when I wrote it, it was appropriate or it felt right for them to adopt. Yes. And what you're also saying, Nicole, and I think is so important for everyone to think about, even without knowing it, you start to lose each other, right? You just kind of start to fade away yeah. from each other, sometimes without even knowing it. And it's very natural because of all the intensity uh, and hurt and differences of opinion and differences in experience to see things differently and to move away from each other. And so I think that's great that you made the film about really reconnecting the couple. Yeah, it really is. It's the reconnection of them. And you know what? I just hope that whomever sees it, whether they've lived this world and walked in my shoes or not, as a filmmaker and as a writer and director, it's important to me that people just are entertained, that they find it fun. I'm not trying mm -hmm. to cure anything. I'm not trying to win any huge awards here. I'm writing from the heart. And that's my hope, especially with the donor world and the surrogacy world, that people who have had their own journeys don't take it as a negative or that I'm trying to profit or anything like that. This was something that was written 12 years ago that mm -hmm. at that time saved me from, from a very bad, dark place. So yeah. it's, it's a, a double-edged sword. It's, it's a love letter to my children. And it's also, it's what saved me. It saved me. Yeah. I was, I was in a bad place. So. Well, now your children are seven. Yes. So that's beautiful. That's They're so amazing. Nice. You know, it's funny because at night when I'm putting them to bed and they are in two separate beds, obviously, and I'll lay down with one and I'll read to them. And when we just look at each other, there's just such a love. There's just so much love. And and even when I go to Harley, who's more inquisitive and A-type personality, she'll sit there. And when I'm laying with her, she'll just sit there and just like shape out my nose and do my lips. And then I'll do hers. <laughs> I said, it's okay that we look different, boo-boo. I said, you know, everybody's got their thing. I said, and you happen to be beautiful because your donor is beautiful. And that, you know, we actually, in a weird way, it makes us stronger because we have to understand my journey yeah. and hopefully they'll understand I'll understand their journey as they, they get older. But I do I want them to feel the freedom to do whatever they want. I just want them to be happy and healthy. You know? That's Sorry. wonderful. <laughs> that's the main goal in life. Yes. I think that's beautifully said. And 
that's ultimately what we all want, right? We all want happy and healthy families. And I so appreciate everything that you're saying today. And you're bringing up so many beautiful points. I think we could probably talk for hours, but we do have to wind yes. down now. And thank you so much for sharing these things and sh sharing so openly and honestly, because I think people need to hear not just the stories that are all wrapped up, as you said, with a bow, but things that are not so easy and things that can be difficult and knowing that you can come out on the other side, that you're, you and your children can come out on the other side, that you and your partner can come out on the other side. Mm -hmm. And even if you have these difficulties that may seem unappealing, it doesn't mean it's the end. You can work through them and you can move forward and have really have the family that you want. So thank you Absolutely. so much for sharing that. Really, Thank really you for having it. me. Oh, you're, you're welcome. Is there anything else you'd like to share with the audience before we wind down? You know, I, just going back to the film, um, I'll do a little push. Uh, it's on VOD right now. It's on Amazon and Apple and Comcast, and it's across mm -hmm. the board. We're also in uh, London and South Africa, hoping Great. for some more international. The only thing I want to share, like I said, so I'm being a little repetitive, is that if anybody does watch the film, they just know that everything in that film came from my heart. Very nice. Very nice. And how can people find you, Nicole, if someone wants to reach out to you? Is there a way, social media or? Instagram is usually the best. You know, mm -hmm. it's uh, Nicole Gomez Fisher. <laughs> That's my handle. Not complicated. Yeah. And I'm, I'm really open. A lot of people who go to the Good Egg uh, page on Instagram constantly asking questions. And oh, I actually like okay. that. I like the engagement. As long as there's no anger. Hostility. And, and, mm -hmm. Yeah, hostility. Yes. Thank you. I couldn't find right. the right word. Yes. yes. Yeah. So I would, you know, DM me if you have any questions. Terrific. Terrific. Well, thank you. That's very generous of you. And thank you, everyone, for joining. I really, really appreciate it. I hope that you got a lot out of this podcast. Nicole's really shared so much from the heart, and I'm really grateful for that. So thank you, Nicole. And for all of you who are out there, please subscribe because that's how we keep going. And tune in next time because we have more to share. Hi, it's Lisa Schumann, just popping in quickly to say thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you liked it, please rate, review, and subscribe, because that's how we keep going and come back for more.